Hello, and welcome to the BSI Education Podcast with me, Matthew Childs. And me, Alan Sellers. Hello, Alan. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And how are you, Matthew? I'm very well, thank you. Now, in these podcasts, our aim is to bring you the stories behind standards and standardisation. In this episode, we focus on standards and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. The 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development was adopted by all United Nations member states back in 2015. At its heart are the 17 SDGs, which are an urgent call for action by all countries, developed and developing, in a global partnership. They recognise that ending poverty must go hand in hand with strategies that improve health and education, reduce inequality and spur economic growth, all while tackling climate change and working to preserve oceans and forests. For this episode, our guest is Vimal Mahendri. Vimal is the president of Le Grand India, a subsidiary of the French multinational Le Grand. In his present role, he guides the strategic initiatives of the company, including identifying new and emerging markets. Vimal has over 30 years of electrical industry experience in manufacturing, marketing and leadership. He is also an ISA ambassador where his focus is on the SDGs. We really enjoyed our conversation with Vimal and we hope you do too. So in this episode of the podcast, we are delighted to be joined by Vimal Mahendru. Hello, Vimal. How are you? Good afternoon. Yes, it's great to join you here today. And how is Delhi today? Well, it's a nice uh, uh, balmy day uh, by British standards, uh, but otherwise we are actually uh, getting into the Indian autumn. Of course, being uh, the pandemic, uh, there's a bit of a concern going around. But as I love to say, this too shall pass. <laughs> well, by the miracle of telecommunications, you're, you're, you're over in Delhi, I'm in uh, southeast London, and Alan, as usual, is in his, in his mansion uh, in the West Country. So... Uh... It's great. It's really great to have Mansion. you. On. <laughs> it's really great to have you on the podcast. Now, Vimal, can you tell us a bit about your your role with La Grande India? What you do there for for La Grande? Sure. Uh, let me give you a bit of my background. By uh, I did my engineering studies in India and then went off overseas to do my masters. Worked overseas for some time and came back to India and joined my family business, which was actually uh, producing low voltage electrical equipment. Worked here for 20 years in our family business. And then I, when the opportunity came, um, sold our business, uh, the electrical part of the business to Legrand. And I was part of the package deal to Legrand. Uh, came there for the transition from, to aid the transition from Indonesian to Legrand. And uh, within Legrand, I've been enjoying my work and uh, continue to stay on even after that because uh, Legrand also got me involved with IEC and one thing led to another and I see myself part of the leadership team here in Legrand India. And you mentioned the, uh, the IEC, obviously the, the IEC being the, uh, the international standards body for electrotechnical uh, standards. Can you tell us about your, your role there? Uh, certainly. Well, um, the, my role has been uh, multidimensional here in IEC. And just for the sake of our audience, let me just give a very brief rundown on what IEC really is. IEC is the International Electrotechnical Commission based out of Geneva. It represents uh, uh, 
almost all countries of the world in standardization of things related to electrical electronics, mainly to ensure their interoperability, safety, and sustainability. Um, IEC standards impact 99% uh, of the global population because almost all countries follow IEC standards in one way or the other for uh, bringing electricity safely to homes, offices, industry, and also uh, IEC standards uh, work toward information technology and communication technologies. So all of this is increasingly becoming relevant to the world and IEC is providing the standardization platform where the standards are created. Not only that, IEC also has conformity assessment schemes to uh, enable industry to conform to certain global standards. All of this um, is very relevant as we go ahead simply because uh, the World Trade Organization, which manages international trade, actually takes input from only three organizations worldwide. It is ITU for telecom, ISO for management standards generally, and IEC for electrical and electronic standards. So I think the role and responsibility of IEC in this area is tremendous. Uh, within IEC, actually I have to narrate a story about how I got involved more than what I'm doing now. And actually in uh, 2013, the Prime Minister of India, Dr. Manmohan Singh at that time, he wrote a letter actually to the head of standardization in India. The organization is Bureau of Indian Standards and said, well, we have this problem of electricity access. What can you do about it? And I've heard that there are microgrids possible and DC uh, direct current based microgrids. Can you find out more about this and do something to help uh, rapid uh, rural electrification? At the BIS, when they received this letter, of course, everybody perked up and uh, I was at that time heading the industry association and uh, the first thing BIS did was give me a call. Hey, listen, what is this thing going on about DC microgrids? And of course, uh, we decided to bring a delegation from India to IEC. And it was a two-man delegation. I was there representing the industry and my counterpart was a gentleman, a senior gentleman from the government. Two of us, I remember going to one of the committee meetings of IEC and saying, hey, we have this challenge and our prime minister wants us to address electrification in rural areas through microgrids. What can IEC do about it? And that's where my journey in IEC started. From there on, from one role to another. I've been now on the IEC standardization board for six years. I'm also chairing one of the committees of IEC, which is working on all direct current standardization. And I'm also at the same time privileged that I'm now in my fourth year as IEC ambassador, taking the message of IEC and especially on sustainable development goals to all parts of the world. That's fascinating, Vimal. Um, these podcasts are all about the journeys of the people that we speak to and, and chat to about how they've ended up being involved in in this world of standards and standardization and that's a, a very interesting journey that you've had there from from family business to letter from the the government from the prime minister 
to BIS and then from your position in, in a trade association and, and then going to the IEC and, and saying to the IEC, hey, look, our prime minister wants us to do this thing. How can you help us? And, and that is a very interesting and exciting story, really. Um, how, how has it progressed from there? So you, you went in two, 2013 um, yeah. and as you say, you've become more involved and you're looking at direct current supply you're looking at um, the SDGs and other things and you're, you're clearly involved more than you were in 2013 so something about it must be interesting to you and, and must be exciting for you. I'm just interested what that might be. One of the things that I, uh, uh, it did for me was I don't think I have ever worked on anything as powerful or as impactful as I'm doing now. As an entrepreneur, it was great. I was running the ship. We had about 2,000 employees in our company and to make a difference to these employees and the other stakeholders was tremendous. It was very gratifying to see that people were growing with the business, with the company. But imagine a platform like IC where you are directly impacting 99% of the world's population. I don't think there is a bigger platform than this if you really want to make a difference. That's what excites me about this. And, and to answer to, you, to your question as to what got me so engaged and what kept me going, one of the things I did, and here's an interesting story uh, and a bit of a stark one also. After going uh, visiting IEC, we, we talked about it and I came back and I was just thinking to myself, what really is electricity access? And what does it mean to not have electricity? Now, you and I on this call and possibly most of our listeners, we've been born with enough electricity around us. And we know, we take it for granted. Our mobile phones are charged. We flick a switch. We know something is going to happen. Either the fan will turn or the, the, the coffee maker will work or my laptop will work. We take it for granted. Imagine living in a place which has never had electricity ever. So when I came back, I visited this village about 150 kilometers east of Mumbai. And Mumbai, everyone knows, is one of the biggest cities in the world. It's a busy, bustling uh, Bollywood city. And uh, I went there to this village. And I especially went there because I wanted to see what life was in a village which had never, ever had electricity. Not by choice, but simply that this village was so remote. And the terrain was such that the electric grid had never reached there. This was in 20, early 2014 that I visited this village. Uh, this village had 22 huts. None of the huts had any electricity. And there was this old man sitting outside weaving bamboo baskets. He would weave, uh, bamboo was a local resource. He would just cut the bamboo shoots. He would uh, make uh, uh, baskets and roughly 10 baskets he was able to make every day by sitting outside in the sunlight and weaving those and then sell them in the local market for vegetables, fish, etc. And that was his total earning. That was his life and lifestyle for not only decades, but generations. This was a village which had never, ever had electricity. Imagine that. And in this village, I, let me tell you some of the, 
share some of the consequences of this, what I saw there. This village had only older people and women because all the young people had moved to the cities to look for jobs. And in this village, uh, the old man, because of his meager income, there was no way that he could afford to go out and buy any uh, luxuries or comforts or even a, a, a small solar panel or something so that he could get a light bulb on his own, simply because the incomes are not there. Then in 2017, under the prime minister's scheme for rural electrification, and this is the impact what IEC standards make, uh, there was a rural electrification drive and funding available. And uh, there was an NGO which installed a small solar PV panel on the roof and one light bulb inside. In between, there was a small charge controller and a small battery. Just one light bulb. That transformed his life. Why? Because the work he would do sitting outside, now he could go in, indoors and continue to doing that. The bamboo resource was freely available in the village, so he could produce about four extra baskets every day. With those four extra baskets, that was his profit. Guess what he bought the first thing with the money uh, that he made? Of course, it was not any luxuries or anything. He bought the simplest mobile phones because he could then get in touch with his sons in the city. This is uh, what excites me about the work that we do in IEC. And from then on, of course, uh, one thing led to another. And in IEC, there was a group, uh, uh, a committee formed, which is a very wide committee with about 165 experts from all over the world. Because I've just narrated the story of this one village. Even today, worldwide, there are about 1.1 billion people who live the same way. 1.1 billion people. That's uh, approximately equal to the entire population of UK and mainland Europe and USA combined. 1.1 billion people. Imagine that. Most of these uh, 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 populations are in um, Africa, parts of Asia, and some parts of Latin America. And coming to the 21st century, and since we are talking about sustainability and sustainable development goals, one of the biggest challenges to sustainability is this kind of unstable situation between haves and have-nots. Those who don't have electricity actually don't have access to any opportunity. And those who have electricity, you know, uh, you and I, we are privileged to have all the facilities around us. Now, Vimal, we're, we're recording this just ahead of, of the United Nations Global Goals Week which is marking the anniversary of the day that the, the SDGs were agreed and they're launching a, a sort of a decade of delivery or decade of action for their achievement by, by 2030. I was fascinated what you said there about how, how you became involved um, in, in IC and standardization work through having a, having to, uh, a problem you had to solve um, and about the electricity access and that, that village visit, which obviously made a tremendous, a tremendous impact on you. Just I wonder from a, a standards body perspective, from the IC itself, how they approached um, the, the SDGs when they were agreed back in 2015. What was the response as a, as a standards body? So the immediate uh, response, you have to see that uh, historically IEC has been mostly uh, members of the industry and industry associations which were participating in this work. When the SDGs were announced in 2015, the first thing IEC did was at the central office, there was a, a study done to see 
what is the impact IEC standardization work has on SDGs and their implementation? The, those were the early years. And in the first study, it emerged as an eye-opener for everybody that there were 12 of the 17 SDGs which were directly impacted by electricity or the absence of it. And as a result, SDG 7, which is about affordable and clean energy, was considered as an important SDG that we should take up and move forward with. And I recall being on the board and, uh, of, of IEC and discussing this issue. And that's when we formed a group called the Ad Hoc 84 group of, the, of some of the board members. And in this group, we uh, started uh, to deliberate further on what can we do to enable better affordable clean energy through IC standardization work. Another study was undertaken and much to our very pleasant and positive surprise, not 12, but all 17 SDGs are directly impacted by electricity or the absence of it. Further, they're impacted by IEC's overall standardization work, which goes not only into electricals, but electronics and uh, you know, services also. And so as a result, if every country in the world has to address SDGs, IEC has an important role to play. Think about it. SDGs are, have, are something which are born out of the thinking in the United Nations, where countries uh, lobby and discuss with each other. And this is coming out of the policy makers and regulators. Imagine when the, the situation when policy makers and regulators are putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is what we promise all the people and this is what we will deliver by 2030. Do you think IEC can say, well, we are not ready with standards and we'll not do anything with it till such time the industry comes around to industry has to respond proactively. And this is when uh, uh, last year in this group that was formed uh, by board members, we actively took upon ourselves. And I recall last year in October in Shanghai, all the board members stood around under a big banner of SDGs to convey the IEC pledge. That's a very famous picture uh, now in IEC available somewhere on the IEC website, which shows all the board members standing and committing themselves that we will uh, make sure all the standards evolve to a level that they are enabling every country to deliver on their SDG promises. One thing that I'm, I'm finding really interesting is the contrast between what somebody in, in an industry that's well established in a in a wealthy wealthier country with more gdp let's say is the thought that standards are actually a barrier to getting things done whereas the contrast here is is really stark between the power of of standards lifting people out of poverty and Absolutely. and the way that that policy coming down from from a prime minister and then working with those standards and then pushing them into actual usage is 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 making a massive difference in the lives of of people in in that 1.1 billion let me talk about electricity access and what IEC is doing about it and why 
if you look at the difference between countries which are struggling with issues related to electricity access generally these are countries where which are still developing or uh, uh, underdeveloped in these countries they don't have deep pockets they don't have financial resources because if they would have had they would have already electrified and so the issue of electricity access would not be there so there is a, a congruence between countries having electricity access issue and lower gdp or per capita incomes in this situation these countries are looking for some solutions of course uh, the idea of a solar pv panel lighting a bulb in a hut is nothing new but what's missing is what is the right standard which because it's only through standards that we can have a mass production of these items at a low cost if i was to do one piece for my house or for a place of course i could do it but it will not be the cheapest solution it will not be a standard solution it will not be easily uh, uh, replicable let's say for others but to make sure that the same thing can be multiplied by the thousands and by the millions for the all the huts and homes and dwellings that need such a solution that's where standards make a difference within iec what we are doing is uh, that from the initial work which was started now there is a, a special committee formed which is uh, looking after all the direct current standardization including the standardization of direct current for electricity access purposes i have the privilege of chairing this committee and within this committee there is a subcommittee formed which is uh, uh, specifically looking at electricity access standards there is another interesting angle to electricity access if you remember this uh, picture of us i painted earlier about this old man who was sitting outside and weaving baskets he got a light bulb but electricity access interestingly is not a binary thing that either you have it or you don't because what has been seen is that the moment you have it there is desire for more so you will never be settled for one light bulb alone it changes it has the biggest impact but from one light bulb you may need two light bulbs and then you need a small fan and then you need a small television set and maybe some kitchen appliances and then you need some chargers for other devices etc so the need for electricity access keeps growing the world bank has come up with what they call the world bank multi tier framework for electricity access it actually defines five stages of electricity access where the first stage is just the simplest of light bulbs alone which was let's say the scenario i had painted earlier of the old man uh, with the light bulb the second stage is a light bulb with a small pedestal fan maybe and a, a, a black and white 16 inch television with the lowest amount of power consumption and that also with a, a battery support for about 4 hours of capacity which means 4 hours typically adds to your morning and evening hours and it just extends your daylight a little the next stage is 8 hours of electrification that means morning and evening but maybe a little bit of electricity used in the afternoon but a little more for maybe two light bulbs or you know so from a small hut you're going into a little bit of a dwelling kind of a, a 
situation. Going this way up to tier five of electrification, which is enough electricity for uh, maybe four or five bulbs, uh, a te television set of whatever size you need, maybe some air conditioning, adequate kitchen appliances, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, guaranteed to run for 23 hours. Now, UK, uh, most of it, Delhi, we are already beyond tier five. And when we talk of SDG 7, the idea is that in every country, electricity to this extent, that means 23 hours of guaranteed electricity for whatever they want to use in their homes is available to the people. Now, this is a tall order. And this to be achieved in 10 years, we are in 2020. By 2030, the SDGs have to be, targets have to be met with. That's a tall order. And this is the reason why the UN is calling it the decade of action. Within IEC, the, the committees have started working. The work, uh, the new sta draft standard is ready. It's already gone for uh, circulation for comments to the uh, member countries. And I'm hoping that uh, um, notwithstanding any uh, unusual delays due to the COVID-19 situation, uh, sometime next year, we should see this uh, standard published. I think that would be an amazing service to the emerging world. I just wonder about the, the current challenges. What do you see over the next decade? As you say, the UN launches its sort of decade for action. What are those challenges going to be in order, in order to, to make sure the goals are achieved? If I was to sum up uh, the challenges, I think that there are challenges of inertia or perhaps change management more than anything else. If you look at the, the history of IEC, started in 1906 onward, IEC has been predominantly the industry actors who were sitting around the, in the committees and discussing what was a good industrial situation, uh, solution to the challenges posed uh, in the electrical and electronics world. So it was engineers talking about it. And the, the engineers were responsible for finding the solutions and coming to uh, compromises and con consensus to drive together. The driving force was industrial activity, which meant that there was a business interest to it. When I talk of electricity access, is there a business interest? Obviously not. Uh, it goes beyond the, the business in interest. So sometimes it becomes a challenge to convince industry actors who are actually responsible to their shareholders, maybe to the stock markets, etc., to say, hey, listen, let's get involved with this. So I've actually had discussions where people come back to me and say, well, it's a, it's a great CSR activity, but uh, I don't see interest of my company in this. And I come back and say, hey, uh, uh, look at it exactly the opposite way. They may not be your target market today, but you are sowing the seeds that come five years when they reach the tier five of what I was explaining, the multi-tier framework, when they need 23 hours of assured electricity, that's when they are going to be your target market. So we are sowing the seeds of developing that market for us. And more than anything else, I think once uh, I think this realization within the industry, which is very important, that the SDGs are a unique stake in the ground 
by policymakers, regulators, politicians, unitedly saying, this is what we need to do. And I think this is the, the change management issue for the industry, that we really need to pull up our socks and say, hey, we will address it. Because we can afford not to, we cannot afford to uh, uh, not address this issue. That to me is the biggest challenge. Now, Vimal, I originally met you as part of the Young Professionals program within the IEC, and you shared some of your story that you shared with us today. Now, looking forward to the future and how the IEC will support the goals that it has, how do you see the challenges that it faces for preparing for that? The challenge, I think, uh, is a big one, there is no doubt. From the board level, I think that the direction is very clear that IEC has to evolve to delivering on SDGs. So there are there is a full action plan that has been prepared by the standardization boards committee that I had mentioned earlier. One of the first steps, which has actually just been implemented from September 1st this year, is that all IEC work will clearly have a a section in it which says this work that you are undertaking, be it a new work item that you want to do or a standard that you want to change from an existing to an, an upgraded standard or a new area of technical work or a report you want to submit. The question that is being asked to everybody is which SDG does this work impact? This question is going to be asked most commonly across all IEC work. Now, when you ask that question, what does it do? It typically triggers one to start thinking, hey, I'm gonna ask them to do this new standard or change the standard. I better be sure that I'm going to impact some standard, some SDG positively, because if I cannot demonstrate that, somebody's going to question whether then what is the validity of taking such an initiative which doesn't impact. To me, this is going to open up everyone's minds to thinking about SDGs. Not only that, if you may be aware of the way the SDGs are implemented by the UN, for each of the SDGs, there are uh, targets and indicators. SDG 7, for example, uh, which is about affordable and clean energy, there are five targets and seven indicators. If you go through the language used in these uh, targets and indicators, and all of them are available on the web, you can do a quick search for SDG targets and indicators and you'll get the, the exact wording. The way they are worded, they actually have terms which could easily be coming from the IEC's vocabulary. It talks about energy efficiency, sustainable energy, energy substitution, measurement of energy, etc. Now, when you see these terms, these directly connect to the IEC work. So the first stage that IEC is pushing everyone, the whole system to think of is, which SDG are you impacting? The second stage is going to be talking about which targets and which indicators are you supporting? And the third stage, which I think which will take about five years to implement across IEC is to say, which SDGs targets and indicators are you impacting and how do you measure that impact? Now that's closing the loop on this thing. And my anticipation is that if we do this well, it will take us about five years that 
across the IEC, we would be doing it. That gives us from 2025 till 2030 to really take this complete work of IEC to every country and enable the countries use these standards in the way we have connected the work with targets and indicators and implement within their own systems and policies and procedures and gear up for delivering to on all their SDG commitments that these countries have made. I think that's going to be a big contribution of IEC in the coming 10 years. And that's why I personally love to call it decade of action. From, from my point of view, I see the standardization becoming more open in the next decade. Part of the reason why I enjoy doing these podcasts is sharing the stories of, of what's going on within this world. But I think we've talked about industry actors or, or industry associations being involved in the standardization process and the way in which you've challenged the thoughts and the points of view that, that they have towards the SDGs. So I can see that maybe over the next decade, there will be a shift of, of the diversity that's required to deliver on these SDGs for the IEC and, and for all policymakers and, 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 and those involved as well. And I just wonder how you see that happening, you know, because where we have diversity of thought, then we have um, a better representation of, of how things are affected by standards and policy. I think that's a paradox of our times. On one hand, IEC is an inclusive organization. 99% of the world population represented on IEC by all the member countries. And that is an amazing, powerful platform on which you bring everybody together to work on standards. But developing a standard requires consensus. And the more people you have sitting around the table, more onerous becomes the task of building consensus. So, so that's the paradox. And that's something I witness every day. But would you be uh, willing to have fewer people on the table? Perhaps not, because if you have fewer people, those who are not at the table would then be not part of the consensus and would anyway question whether you did a good standard which is applicable to those countries or not. So I think what we are trying to do is, and this touches upon an interesting aspect, that within IEC we are conscious of our responsibility as an international organization which is all-inclusive, bringing everybody to the table, listening to all the voices, developing standards which are then relevant and responsive to all the voices that we have heard. Now, when we do all that, we need to be more nimble. And this is where digital transformation comes in place. Perhaps 50 years back, 30 years back, 20 years back, this would be more difficult and onerous because I hear horror stories of IEC having a publishing and posting department where they had reams and reams of paper which were circulated to member countries every day. And now uh, it, it's digital platforms. Right now there are still PDFs flying around. Soon you will see that even this is not required and we go online and online collaboration and online editing and consensus building tools, online real-time voting tools would be available, even voting on nuances of the text in a certain standard. 
So I think those kind of enabling technologies are making it possible for us to dream of having everyone on the table, everyone col collaborating real time. That's where we are uh, leveraging technology for our own uh, good. As you know, Vimal, I think that consensus is, is key to these policies, these standards, and I think technology can speed up us achieving that consensus but we we still need that at the end of the day and i've i've heard often that consensus is is not agreement but it's lack of disagreement now i guess you can take that either way but it, it's still a powerful thing to carry forward standards yes. and the usage of those standards that is the ic definition also of consensus the absence of sustained opposition is called consensus which, uh, truth be told, IEC is not going to make standards which are best and which is about the best product being standardized. It's about what is everybody agreeable to. So consensus does not mean that we'll find the best solution and we will, the best innovation and we'll make that as a standard. The standard will reflect the consensus between the members who are sitting around the table. And I think that's a... a, a, a the differentiator, I think, which we need to come out with. Vimal, at the, at the very beginning, you, you told us about your own standards journey, and I'm interested to know uh, what, what's next, what's next in your standards journey, and what message you might have for others who maybe haven't started theirs yet. For me personally, it's been a wonderful journey, and I find that I have grown a lot professionally, but even as a person, I could never imagine before I joined my work in IEC that I would be working on this platform and doing something which is as meaningful, as uh, beneficial to our society as I'm doing now. That I think to me is the biggest reward that I'm gaining personally from this work that I'm doing in IEC. The work on electricity access, on uh, SDGs is so hugely impactful. And working on standardization and enabling all the committees of ICE to work on standards which are re reflecting SDGs in their work is a very powerful motivator. In my own journey, I uh, remain, a, as I love to say, a foot soldier of IEC and I will continue to be engaged. Uh, right now, I'm on the board of uh, the, the standardization board of IEC. My tenure as IC ambassador continues for now. Um, the work on the system, the, the committee for uh, direct current continues. That's very impactful work also. And that also continues. Uh, hopefully, uh, this journey will take me several places, but I don't think IC can get rid of me so easily. I will keep engaged. But one of the messages I want to give is SDGs is an important topic. We each one of us individually can or you don't have to be an IEC person to get involved or, you know, an IEC ambassador. In our, even in our personal capacities, individual capacities, even at home, energy efficient, energy starting from savings, starting from doing something in our own little way. You know, there's something that we can contribute to make this world a better place. And I really believe in that. You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. For more information on BSI Education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education.
This link and others on the themes raised in this episode can be also be found in the episode notes. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and share us on social media using the hashtag BSIEdPod. And if you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, then do please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We welcome your feedback. All that remains is for me to say thank you, Vimal. Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Matthew. And of course, to thank you for listening.